0: Move Forward Radio is brought to you by MoveForwardPT.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Find a physical therapist near you at MoveForwardPT.com.
1: You're listening to Move Forward Radio, a podcast featuring interviews with physical therapists and other healthcare experts with advice on how you can move forward.
2: Welcome to Move Forward Radio, I'm Eric Reese. Elizabeth Forrest was a 30-something who just couldn't see enough of the world. She was a travel physical therapist, meaning that, by design, she practiced for limited periods of time in different areas. In her leisure time, her wanderlust and interest in different cultures and belief systems had taken her on journeys all over the world. In fact, she'd just gotten back from a trip to Southeast Asia in August 2014 when she stopped off in North Carolina to visit a friend. It was a pit stop that would radically alter her life's course. While in the Tar Heel state, she took a fateful dive into a pool that resulted in her becoming quadriplegic. Suddenly, the formerly independent woman was reliant on others for everything. But if her horizons seemed to have shrunk dramatically at that point, they didn't stay constricted for long. Given her healthcare knowledge and her experience treating very determined patients, Elizabeth was a strong self-advocate as she entered her new life. She was determined to lead an active and dynamic life whether or not she had functional arms and legs. And that's exactly the life she's leading now. Not that she'll tell you it's been easy or that it necessarily ever will be. That's enough introduction. Let's let Elizabeth tell her story from the beginning to the continuation as opposed to the end.
3: Elizabeth, thanks for being here with us today on Move Forward Radio. Why don't we get started by just briefly painting a picture of your life before your accident, uh, where you were, what you were doing, what your kind of philosophy toward life was.
1: Before I had my accident, I was a practicing physical therapist. I had gotten my doctoral degree at Regis University in Denver, Colorado. So I had been practicing as a physical therapist in the orthopedic county hospital systems for about eight years in the state of California, in San Francisco and Los Angeles. I was an active participant in Eastern-based healing technique, type of philosophy, yoga, and meditation were a big part of My own practice as well as practice that I worked with my own clients and patients. Lover of professional sports. And so I was a triathlete where I swam, biked, biked, and run on my free time. Again, just a lover of yoga and Eastern philosophies. Big traveler of the world. I had traveled across the globe. I've actually circled the globe, going to all different types of places like Europe and Southeast Asia and, you know, all over the continent, really. So that was a big part of kind of my free time And I was a traveler physical therapist kind of at the end prior to my injury. So that's kind of what I was really kind of honing in on most of my time before my injury.
3: So take us up to the injury itself. Now, it's my understanding that you were in North Carolina when this happened. What had brought you there and kind of lead us up to what happened at that time?
1: I had just actually returned. I was in Southeast Asia for a yoga training. I'd become a yoga instructor. I got my 300-hour, and I'd also become a practitioner of craniosacral therapy, I was abroad and I was returning to the United States and I was visiting a friend in North Carolina and we were sitting by the pool. It was an August day, very warm out and we were hanging out with friends and as the night came on, we decided to go swimming and I kind of stupidly, not thinking, dove into the pool kind of on the side of the pool and hit the slope from the shallow and deep end pretty much head on. It was a very poor pool. It was a neighbor's pool, so it wasn't lit. There was no markings, and so I just misguided my pool dive, and I basically hit my head straight on onto the bottom of the pool, immediately paralyzing me from the shoulders down. So I heard the noise that cracked in my neck when it happened. I was pretty much conscious the entire time, and I dangled like a rag doll in the pool holding my breath. So the yoga work and the long-distance swimming background really helped in that capacity because I. Basically, had to help hold my breath for about a minute, and then um, waiting for my friends who were in the pool to realize that I was not play drowning, and that I was actually, you know, waiting for somebody to pull me out because I couldn't even lift my head out. Of so the you were body. so
3: you were actually you were actually underwater at the time.
1: I was floating face down, so my arms and my legs were basically dangling down in the water. At this point, I, was, I had moved into the deep end, and I was floating again. I had really good breath control. I just knew how to use my breath, and so I. Kind of held my breath to kind of keep me buoyant, waiting for somebody to pull me out, pull me around so I could take a breath of air.
3: That must have seemed like an incredibly long moment.
1: It was a very long moment, I will say. Although I will, a lot of people ask me about that moment, and I will say that you know you you have sort of this moment where you're like, I'm going to die. I'm having this near death experience, right? I'm going to have to basically take a breath at some point. It's going to be water, and it was a very peaceful process. I was just sort of waiting there. Um, I know it seems like it would be a scary moment for most of the world who would go through the same thing, but for me it was like I was just patiently waiting there. And I, I can't really explain that except for the fact that it was peaceful and I was sort of resigned to the fact, okay, well, this is it, this is it. I mean, I could not move at all. I was basically just a suspended point on the top of the water.
3: Perhaps that Eastern philosophy training came in, into play there.
1: Absolutely, I just think intuitively and naturally and organically, I just went to this place of surrender, um, Shavasana is a position that everyone does at the end of a yoga session and it's basically like the corpse pose and you're basically in this full relaxation moment sort of preparing to relax and that was sort of how it felt like to me, that moment.
3: So your friends came and got you, take us from there, what what happened next, Where did where did you go from there?
1: As soon as I was taken out of the water, and I think the most of my damage, actually, when I look back on this, I've thought of it millions of times, the most amount of damage um, that happened was when they pulled me out of the water. And if I could go back, I probably would have had them hold me buoyant in the water. Instead, they tried to kind of roll me up and over the lip of the pool with people that didn't have any medical background. And um, the neck extended back. And I think that's probably where the most amount of damage in my spinal cord actually happened because... The actual injury was a C4-5, the cervical 4, cervical 5. They called it a burst fracture, where you hit so much force, kind of an axial load from the, the head in that it kind of bursts into pieces. And so you've got all these floating shards of bone, but then when you extend the neck back, that's when those sharp pieces of bone, I think, pierce the spinal cord, therefore, you know, forever damaging the cord. So it's was rolled out of the pool and put on a, a patio lawn chair, And from that point on is when my journey started with this whole new life of being a quadriplegic. I mean, I never regained any sensation or physical mobility abilities below the level of kind of like the mid-arm from that point on. And so I ended up spending two weeks in an intensive care unit at Charlotte Medical Center, where, of course, my entire family, I'm the youngest of five children, everybody flanked to my side. And went through the whole process of being innovated and non innovated and is she going to be on a ventilator the rest of her life? Can she breathe? They tried to do a tracheotomy on me, and I refused it because as a physical therapist, I was probably a thorn in their side. I knew the repercussions of, A, being on a ventilator, and, B, having a tracheotomy. So I sort of refused, and um, my stubborn, normal self knew that if they would just give me a chance to take the tubes out of my mouth, I would breathe on my own, and so I ended up actually recovering Breath control, never having to have any ventilation or tracheotomy or anything like that.
3: Given that you are a physical therapist, it occurs to me that you probably knew the best way to move you out of that pool as well, but you just weren't really in position to, uh, or, or maybe of have the, have the presence of mind to uh, direct people along those lines at that time.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there. Were, listen, it was, a, it was a Saturday night; people were drinking. I'm in shock. I'm not thinking right because I'm, you know, i barely, almost, nearly drowned, and so you're not thinking step-by-step really what what should have happened. If there was somebody that was either a lifeguard or a medical professional, they probably would have kept me floating in the pool until, you know, I I got medevaced off that property with a helicopter. So it was just a very frantic 20 minutes, you know, it was a frantic time. We just don't know what to do.
3: In those weeks afterward, as you were receiving your your initial services and and rehab and, and what have you, as a physical therapist, I mean, what? where did you think you were? What did you think you were going to be capable of doing in terms of, uh, in terms of recovery or kind of getting any part of your former life back?
1: You know, there's a lot of confusion and unknown. The doctors actually tell me and my family, we don't know what's going to come back. We don't know every spinal cord injury is really truly like a snowflake. Everyone is individual. I mean, some people have like a fracture at the C1 level, and then, you know, three months later, they're walking again. So, in the beginning, they don't really have a lot to tell you, but I do know one of the main doctors, and just to tell you surgically, they did a fusion anterior and posterior, so on the front and back of my neck. So, the C4-5 level on the front was fused, and then they did a C2 to T2, which is a very long fusion in the posterior or back part of my neck, and so... There was a lot of surgeries in the very beginning, and so they really just didn't know, like, what was going to happen. And the, the, the spinal cord wasn't fully severed. It was just very damaged. So it is connected. It's just very highly bruised and scarred. So they don't really tell you much. They said, we don't think she's ever going to walk again. That's very hard news to tell. They don't tell me that. They told my mom and my family that. So obviously, that was devastating news for them. And, you know, to relay to me, and they really never relayed any of that to me. They just said, let's just wait and see. But, you know, from the very get-go, I was like, get me out of the bed, get me in a wheelchair. I knew if I was going to get pneumonia. I didn't want to use the C C-collar because I knew that would weaken my neck muscles. I mean, immediately I was in physical therapy mode on myself. So I think a lot of the medical personnel that were there assisting me kind of looked to me and listened to me probably more than any other patient because I, I knew what I was talking about.
3: So they're probably schooled or told to be a advocate for the patient, but do you you were in position to be a, a
1: pretty good advocate for yourself. Literally, um, Eric, Trump, day one, I've been an advocate for myself, uh, I, um, like I said, from not allowing them to do a tracheotomy on me, to refusing to see collars and I had a broken neck, you know, they were like, how can you not do this? And I knew, I had my reasons, like I, my brain, my PT brain was on the second this injury happened.
3: Now we should mention,
0: this was back in what, 2014, correct?
1: Yeah, it was was August of 2014.
0: A quick break to tell you about Choose PT, the American Physical Therapy Association's national public awareness campaign. America is currently in the grips of an opioid epidemic. In some situations, dosed appropriately, prescription opioids are an appropriate part of medical treatment. But opioids only mask the sensation of pain, and opioid risks include depression, overdose, addiction, and withdrawal. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is urging health care providers to reduce the use of opioids in favor of safer alternatives like physical therapy for treating pain. Learn how a physical therapist can help you at moveforwardpt.com slash choosept. And now, back to this episode of Move Forward Radio.
3: So talk about sort of what your life has looked like since then and, and what what your daily routine what your monthly routine what kinds of appointments you regularly have what all that looks like now
1: well just just to quickly also interject i i wouldn't be who i am today unless i was not cared for by craig hospital which is one of the top five rehabilitation hospitals in the country here in denver colorado and that was the decision to, to fly me they actually flew me in a medical jet from north carolina to, to craig where I spent two months working side-by-side with very highly trained medical doctors that are very well-versed with the spinal cord community and the traumatic brain injury community. I mean, they're just known to be one of the best of the best. And um, the physical therapists and the occupational therapists that I worked with there were really touched by my story and what was going on because it was like them. It was like this could happen to them. Here's, a, here, here's one of their own crew. So, again, because I was an advocate for myself and I knew how to direct my own patients when i was working before i was able to kind of swim through the craig circuit if you will pretty quickly so i was only there for two months and for a full quadriplegic i mean from the shoulders down and teaching me how to get into a power wheelchair and i and i use a sip and cuff breath driven technology wheelchair similar to christopher reeves superman learning those skills and um, teaching the family how to care for me there is such a large balloon full of Information and education that needs to be portrayed to each person in the in the picture before they ever uh, send me out of the hospital. So I was there for two months. I could write a book about my time at Craig. It was a phenomenal experience. They were amazing to me. Was able to settle in an apartment very quickly after I got out around November, and um, I lived with my mother for about six months here in my apartment, close by the hospital. And from that point on, really from the discharge from the hospital. To now, it's been a long journey of, okay, how do I live alone? How do I learn to live independently? How do I direct caregivers? How do I hire caregivers? I have assistants in the morning and the evening with trained CNAs or LPNs or RNs that come into my home, and they get me out of bed, and they have to do all of my activities of daily living for me, including bowel care, showering, dressing, feeding, water, I mean, I cannot lift my arms up, so I need one, I'm 100% dependent on others for really my life. And then I have people come in at night and kind of reverse the process. Take my clothes off and, you know, change my catheter bag and put me to bed. So it's, it's been a long journey, three and a half years of lots of education for myself, lots of teaching, learning the right way. And then more importantly, it's how to live alone, how to live independently again. It's really awful and hard to depend on others for everything, and then having to live with somebody, for me, like the grace for me is to have had that moment to find a way to live alone.
3: Not to get into specifics, but it sounds like it would be a very expensive lifestyle as well.
1: Very expensive, and in the beginning, you know, with insurance, I was on a travel insurance because I come from, like I said, Southeast Asia, so I was on a travel insurance bundle, and uh, of course that expired as soon as I got back, to Colorado, so I had to start the whole process of learning Medicaid and how to be on Medicaid and what that means and what they cover and, and what does Colorado represent. I was very familiar with the Medicaid or Medical, if you will, system in California because if you remember, I mentioned I worked in the county system. So here I am like, okay, I remember all the dealings that I had to do as a PT with my own patients and had to do, to advocate for their own cares with the Medi-Cal system. And now here I am in Medicaid of Colorado. So Medicaid has been great. Colorado is a state that has money coming in. That's been very helpful in my situation. They cover the DME equipment, anything that I need for my house, accessible wise. Craig Hospital's helped fund, a lot of that as well through scholarship funds. And as far as paying for caregivers, which I think is the biggest bundle of, of money that you need to put out, I mean, you're paying anywhere from 20 to $30 an hour for a caregiver, and you've got them four hours in the morning and two hours at night. So you can do the math. It becomes quite expensive. We initially were doing lots of fundraisers. Help Hope Live was an organization that we used so that friends and family outside of Colorado were able to donate to these particular types of cares. And on top of that, you're paying for physical therapy. So because there wasn't a medical necessity for me and I wasn't going to have a lot of functional return, Medicare and Medicaid will not pay for your physical therapy. That's all out-of-pocket costs, and those are about $70 an hour as well. And at the very beginning, I was attending physical therapy at Craig Hospital two days a week um, using various machines and technologies. So as you can see, the price is just astronomical. You can't even imagine. It's just everything.
3: In the years since your accident and during your recovery, it looks like you've done quite a lot, that you've still managed to travel, that you've still managed to be involved in activities. I've seen video of you in the water. It looked like it's in in scuba equipment or something. Can you talk about your determination to to continue to lead an active lifestyle and how easy or difficult it's been to do that?
1: Well, one of my biggest mantras, and I say mantra because I just have a yoga brain on, but my mantra has always been anything is possible. And um I think that really reflects my personality before and after the accident. Um I loved to challenge myself and marry many different ways physically, emotionally, spiritually. And so when I was injured, you know, that doesn't ever go away. Your personality, your characteristics of your nature, from your childhood, those are still very much intact. It's it's still me, E B. And so it's been a really interesting journey to find ways to do things in a different way. Like, how do we get me on a plane? How do you do a race on your wheelchair instead of doing a triathlon? How do we just get the wheelchair situated so I can roll over, you know, a certain race parameter? And so I think it was just a determination that was always embedded in my soul that with the help, again, from my OTs and my PTs, my caregivers, my family, like, we've all learned through trial and error how to do such things. And, And again, going back to the Craig Hospital, They really taught us initially kind of the basics, like this is how you transfer from your wheelchair into an aisle seat, and then an aisle seat into an airplane seat. This is how you do it here at the hospital. Now go do it out in the real world. And so that first trip that I took, which was actually to San Francisco, you know, we were all freaked out. We didn't know if we were going to be able to do it. Can we do it? And then we realized, well, we can do it. And if I have enough assistance and people know how to move me safely and effectively, that, yes, I can get on an airplane. And it's just about teaching airplane personnel about your equipment, and it's just a tremendous amount of education and knowledge. One of my biggest pastimes, I was a water baby kind of from the get-go, and so scuba diving, I, I was a scuba diver since I was 18 years old. Twenty years ago, I did my first dive in the Great Barrier Reef in Australia when I was on my study abroad there, and so I thought, well, uh, with the help of my therapeutic recreation specialist at Carol huserk at Craig Hospital, she's like, let's try and go diving again. Let's see if we can do it. So we started out like, you know, small beans. We went to the pool, and we went to the special pool over by my house where they had a lift where it put me into the pool and put some dive gear on me and put the regulator in my mouth and tried to go in the deep end. And that was probably a big moment for me in recovery emotionally because, as you know, I was injured and nearly drowned in in the pool, and here I am going back in the pool. So there was a minute where I was like, oh, my God, can I do this? and i thought well like i said anything is possible i'm a daring person to get to do this let's just try it i had two great dive buddies right and left of me and we had a little system set up and down we went and um, it took a couple tries and then we realized with a couple practices in the pool that well let's see if i can do it in the ocean so i took myself on a plane down to mexico and with again with the right amount of crew and support system you know threw me off the boat paced forward my dive buddies were in the water and we went down and I can't really explain it. It's just who I was before and it's still who I am now. So we just found ways to do things just a little differently. I just came back from South Carolina where I did a 10K race over the Cooper River Bridge Run in Charleston. And I, instead of running the race or walking the race, I rolled over the bridge, you know, with my family next to me. And um, it was just as exhilarating as it was when I was, you know, as a track lead before.
3: Have you had opportunities uh, to share your perspectives or speak with others with quadriplegia?
1: Yes. You know, one of the things when I was going through the first year of being a physical therapist, you're just, you want to help, you want to teach, you want to help others. Even though I was now the patient, that still didn't go away. So I thought, well, who could I reach out to to start doing something with my brain again? Because I was still there, you know, I still wanted to do something educationally, professionally. So I reached out to the Christopher... And Dana Reeves Foundation, I literally called her uh, 1-800-LINE in New Jersey and um, told them who I was and said I wanted to get involved. And so I quickly became kind of a big part of their growing family. And I'm an advocate and a mentor for newly injured individuals coming down the line after me. I also write a twice-monthly blog for them, their blog and forum section talking about all the different things about being a spinal cord survivor, a quadriplegic, how to live independently, how to travel. What's nutrition all about? How do you prevent getting UTIs? The importance of eating garlic in your diet. I mean, anything you can think of, I'm basically writing about to share my interesting and unique perspective as well as being the the physical therapist now, now patient. I work with them every month pretty avidly. I've also become a mentor for other individuals that have had similar injuries coming through Craig Hospital. I also even went back to my old alma mater, Regis, and... Top two semesters to up-and-coming doctoral physical therapy students just to try my hat at teaching. So that was kind of an interesting avenue to take. But I, I feel like now I was always a really good writer before I was in this position, and now I feel like I have so much more to write about. It's really poignant and powerful for others to not only learn about but also just enable them and empower them to be greater than who they are, even with their injuries and their, their specific needs or I hate to say special needs. I like to use the word specific needs because that's really – we just have specific needs now. I'm writing a lot more. I'm doing a lot more writing. And I'm, I've applied for an internship, a fellowship, for the, the daily dot newspaper, online newspaper for the Emerging Disabled Writers Program. So I feel like the more voice I can get out into the world, the better off others will be, knowing my experience, and that they can also be empowered to do something that might not have thought is possible, That that I can show them that this is possible.
0: A quick break to tell you about Find a PT, the American Physical Therapy Association's national database of physical therapists. PTs are movement experts who treat people of all ages and abilities, helping them to improve and maintain function and quality of life. Don't wait until you have an injury to see a PT. Contact one today and learn how you can improve your fitness and prevent health problems before they start. You can contact a physical therapist near you, no physician referral required, by going to moveforwardpt.com. And now, back to this episode of Move Forward Radio. Just a practical or technical question. You've mentioned writing several times. How do you write?
1: Um, That's a great question. And uh, again, the tech department, the technology department at Craig Hospital, just phenomenal, taught me that if you have the right equipment, there is a company called the Quad Joy. And as you you know, I've mentioned, I use sip and puff straws to get around in my wheelchair. It's pretty high tech. There is a small company called the Quad Joy Company, and they've created a mouse, a mouse stick, if you will, that is sip-and-puff driven, so you can move the mouse. It's like a, it looks like a thicker straw. I kind of move that with my lips and my chin, and then I use various breaths of air, sipping and puffing air, to use like the clicks of a mouse. It's just like you'd be using a mouse on a computer it, or a laptop.
3: Is it letter-by-letter, is letter then? It sounds like it would be a very lengthy process.
1: No, actually, it's not. I use Dragon Dictate. So there's a dictation software program that's installed on my Mac computer, and I have a small microphone that sits near my mouth. Um, And so I basically say, like, you know, there are various commands that I can turn my dictation software on, and then it's listening to me, and then I can, you know, like if I'm on my Facebook or something and I want to make a status update, like, wow, it's a beautiful day today. Let's get outside and see the flowers. I would just say, wake up, and I could, you know, sip and pop to the area that I want it sift the air, and turn my dictation on, and it'll do it. And then I say, go to sleep, and the dictation system goes off. Again, 10 years ago, I don't think they had this type of technology, so I laughed sometimes and said, well, if you're going to be a quadriplegic, this is a good time to be a quadriplegic. <laughs> the technology advancements have become so great that it's allowed people like myself to communicate and live a life that you live, that somebody that is not paralyzed in a wheelchair can live. And that's really important. Like the Alexa, Amazon Alexa system, has been awesome. I have those all over my house. I can dictate my thermostat. I can turn my lights on and off. I have a CPAP that I wear at night. I can turn that off. So there's just such great advancements and they're happening every month. There's more and more happening.
3: What does your future look like? Where do you see yourself, I don't know, five years from now?
1: I just turned 40 and I've been injured now. I'll be injured four years in August. And um you know, I think a lot of the very first beginning part of this was having having to figure out the basic logistics. Now that I have that down pat, um, I feel like my horizons are, are broadening, and um, I think the writing is something that I, is a very powerful tool for me, and I, I write with the ability to express in a way that is I want to be tactile. I want you to be able to smell it and, and feel it and be there with me, and that's kind of how I write. So I think the future for me professionally will be, in some capacity, writing. And I would love to write for, like, New Motion Magazine or, you know, Lonely Planet Disabled column or an ability to help the traveling, like maybe to fund some of the traveling, but able to report on some of those things. I'm kind of searching right now for what the next five years will be Um, in in a perfect world. If I could blink my eyes like a genie, I'd probably be living in a beautiful cottage in Maui, Hawaii, overlooking you know a beautiful backyard garden, writing from my computer. That's kind of <laughs> I don't know how <laughs> realistic that is. And on my family laughs like, oh yeah, right, you're you're not going to end up in Hawaii. But you know it's possible. Again, anything is possible. So I feel like if I can manifest my future and really see what I want and find the right team to support me in these endeavors, I feel like anything truly is going to be possible for me. But oh. professionally, I think the writing is going to be where it's at for me. And, and, and doing public speaking, like public speaking, I'd love to do a TED Talk. I'd love to speak for the APTA at one of the conferences. I've been doing some public speaking at schools, you know, fifth sixth graders just trying to expose what it's like to talk to a person in a wheelchair, how it might not be very appropriate to at a person in a wheelchair, how somebody's in a wheelchair that they're not, you know, they don't have any cognitive deficits. They're not, you know, kids will say the word retarded. I know that's not a very PC word, but they, I always ask them, I say, what do you think that's person in a wheelchair is like and a couple of them said we think they're retarded and they don't think that that they're just a normal person with just some specific mobility.
3: What's your takeaway from this from your life as it's unfurled for both people with disabilities and those who don't have disabilities?
1: My uh, takeaway is there are so many takeaways but I think if I could say it in one little bit I would say you never never know where your life is going to lead you and you never expect something as tragic and traumatic and life altering as having a spinal cord injury and full quadriplegia, which is just so challenging on every front, you never expect that this is going to happen. This is I call it the curveball of life. Life threw me the curveball, right? And I either missed the ball or it hit me in the head or and uh now I'm left in this situation to figure things out. And I think that if finding that positive outlook and finding the positive affirmations and Trying to be the best person that you are, whether your arms move or don't, is what it's all about. And and helping others and finding kindness towards yourself and others. And there's so much of that that happens around me on a daily basis. Like, you ask the question, why did this happen to me? There is never going to be an answer to that question. I can't ever explain it. It happens. And so there is this sort of, like, moment in your life where you have to literally pick yourself up off the floor, put yourself in your wheelchair and move forward and just do the best that you can with, with your life. And, and, um, that's how I try and live and listen, there's hard days. I have dark days where I cry and I'm like, this really is not what I intended. I thought I was gonna be married with children at this point and running around or, or traveling the world again and things just change. And so you just have to keep a positive perspective and try your best. Be the best person you can be.
3: Elizabeth Forrest, thanks so much for speaking with us on Move Forward Radio.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. You've been listening to Move Forward Radio. Insight from our guests is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or find previous episodes at moveforwardpt.com. Move Forward Radio is brought to you by MoveForwardPT.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Find a physical therapist near you at MoveForwardPT.com.